County is full of amazing stories. And the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that lived them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole history told by the individuals that live and love this small Indiana County. Welcome to Where We Landed. It's our podcast about all things Grant County. I'm Scott Miller, one of the hosts today. And we've got an awesome special guest host today, Kirk Hornicker, who is here. So Kirk, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. And uh, we are going to be doing a really cool interview today with our good friend, Alicia Hazelwood. So Alicia is one of the founders of this podcast, and she is now a leader at Ivy Tech's Marion campus. And we are excited to have you, Alicia. Thanks for being willing to do this. I know how much you're looking forward to this. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I would love, so guests have gotten to know you, um, if if listeners, or I should say listeners have gotten to know you over the last year, Uh, but I'd love for you to share your story about how you got to Grant County and um, and what's kept you here at Grant County. And then we're going to dive into getting to know Alicia a little bit better today. Sure. So um, I just want to warn people to be aware when you come on our show, you may end up as a special guest host. Exactly. (laughs) So welcome back, Kurt. We're super excited to have you here with us today and appreciate you filling in for Kylie as she is off watching some baseball. So we're super excited for that, though. I hear Joey Votto's not playing today. Yeah, he went down season ending injury. Yeah, she's pretty disappointed. But Okay, so and in place of Kylie on the board is Kyron Montero. So we appreciate him, our podcast production guy, uh, taking care of recording us today. So thank you for that, Kyron. You may hear him in later episodes because we're going to wrangle him into being a guest host as well, probably. (laughs) Um, But how did I end up in Grant County? Okay, so I was born in, because I know Scott likes to go all the way back to birth. Right, from birth. From birth. I was born at Portsmouth Naval Hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia, when my dad was in the Navy. Um, We lived, um, moved back and forth to the Midwest while he was in the military and stuff like that. And when he got out of the military, we ended up in North Carolina. So I grew up mostly in North Carolina until about the third, fourth grade, moved to Indiana with my dad's job. And um, my parents are originally from Greencastle and Winchester, Indiana anyway. So kind of trying to get closer to family. And they were looking for a house between northern Indianapolis and uh, Plymouth, Indiana, because my dad was a computer tech and that was kind of his service area. And he wanted to be close to lakes, but he had a big plant in uh, Hartford City. So we ended up here in Grant County. They still live in the house that we moved into uh, out on 18, and it was close to the reservoirs and stuff like that, so we can still be outside. We're very much an outside family. So it was my dad, my mom, myself, and my younger brother went to Marion High School, which cracks me up. So I went to Southeast for, I think, a year. Then I was at Jones Middle School and then Marion High School, class of 98, which is the best class ever. Um, You're not allowed to shake your head. It's my episode. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I went to Marion. I always giggled because I actually lived closer to Eastbrook than I did in Marion. Um, Graduated from Marion. I ended up at Manchester College at the time, but university now for my bachelor's degree in political science. 
and um, met my husband, who's a born raised Marion Grant County. Um, while I was in college, I was home for a holiday or whatever, and met him and got married and stayed here. Never thought I would stay here. I pictured myself in Washington, D.C. Oddly enough, my brother is now in Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, went to Indiana Wesleyan for my master's degree. Have two beautiful boys, 17 and 13. Uh, both attend Oak Hill school systems and um, just really love this community and have been able to follow uh, we were talking about them at Ivy Tech now, but I worked 10 years for Congressman Dan Burton here in the district, and I worked 10 years for the local United Way here in the district or in Grant County. So um, been able to have uh, so far two really, really great uh, career steps here in the community as well. Yeah, you have. So you've had a life of service, really, um, nationally, you know, working with a U.S. congressman and then here locally, um, both now in education and then previous to that with a lot of the nonprofits in the mm -hmm. community. Um, I would like you to talk a little bit about your two boys. So you've shared a little bit about them with me over the past few years and what their interests are. So your 17 year old and your 13 year old, yeah. what are their interests? What are they looking forward to doing? Yeah. In life? Um, so I'm in that kind of really scary fun stage where Gavin's talking about not being at home. Yeah which freaks me out. So Gavin's my oldest. He's 17. Um, his passions, he does amazing in school. His passions are swimming and baseball. So he's an athlete. He's a, a fly and breaststroke primarily swimmer and then a pitcher and second baseman on the baseball team. So uh, has really loved that, had a passion for that, wanted to work in sports somehow. Um, recently, however, has uh, as recently as just this past week come home and said that his plan is to get out of high school and go to the University of South Florida, graduate in business. And while he's down there, he's going to work for Starbucks. So they'll pay for his college and he's going to work on a fishing charter. And when he gets out of school, he wants to start a fishing charter in Florida. And he knows how to manage his mom's anxiety because he came <laughs> home and didn't say, I'm moving to Florida and starting a fishing charter. He came home and said, here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to do it. He's got a friend of his that graduated last year that's going to school to be a nurse. They're going to move to Florida together, live in an apartment together. Like they have the whole thing. So now I'm in panic mode around in a year or two, I'm going to be packing up his truck and watching him drive to Florida with no way to poke holes in the fact that this is a bad idea because it's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. So, I'm excited that I raised kids that I always told them like the world's bigger than here and yeah. to explore it and try new things and don't be afraid of doing that. And so I'm really proud and excited that he's taking that on and absolutely terrified as a parent that what did I do? Like I needed to tell them that like, here's where you need to be and not to go anywhere. Um, but he did listen to you. So there's a check. He did listen. Favor. Yeah, he did <laughs> listen. So there's that. And he's very determined. He's very, he's always been very independent and he's my thoughtful kid. He's my negotiator. Um, he's, he's a mini version of me. He shares my personality. So he's been a, a fun and a challenging child. And is he a junior this year? He's a junior this so year. Two years to go. Yep. He's got two years to go. He's taking, um, 
like his German class is an IU class. He's taking two Ivy Tech classes. So he really challenges himself um, in anything and everything that he does uh, to try to be the best that he can. And then my 13-year-old, Hunter, he is the absolute heart of our family. He's got a big heart. Um, he just loves to love on people and animals and has just a, a huge servant's heart. Um, he's always wanted to be a police officer. That's all he's ever thought about doing. That's all he's ever wanted to do. Um, and so he's still looking at that. His passions uh, right now are football and he's a thrower for the track team. So he throws shot put and discus. And um, yeah, he's really great in school and just really kind and caring. And he's the one that makes us laugh. Like he just cracks me up all the time. Um, he's spontaneous. He'll try anything. He doesn't care what people think about him. And he's just a, a real joy to have around. And I was told at a pretty young age, I think that I wasn't probably going to have children. So the opp opportunity to have these two boys has just been an absolute blessing and, uh, being a mom's best thing I ever did. Most terrifying thing, but best thing. So, yeah. Which one of the boys, cause I think you had shared with me that one of the boys was interested in sports casting at one point in time. Is that was Gavin. Yeah. And okay. he still has that interest because he has a photographic memory. So he memorizes yeah. stats really easily. And um, thanks to you, we got down and talked with um, the voice of the Indiana Chris Pacers. Denary. Yep, yeah. Chris Denary and um, met him and he spent time with Gavin and uh, Gavin's been up in the... Um, studio with me at WBAT and talk to Jim Brunner and Tim George about sports broadcasting. And I could see him doing that maybe as like a side hustle type thing. Um, it's definitely a fallback if, yeah. <laughs> you know, the fishing charter doesn't work out. Well, while he's down there, he could do the charter during the day and do Miami yeah. heat games at there night. There you and, go. And, yeah. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. No, That's I want awesome. him to be completely successful. So yeah. Yeah. And then what organizations are you involved with here in the community? So I believe that the first time we met was through Rotary. Yep. Um, and you were actively and still are actively involved in Rotary. Yeah. Um, what got you involved in Rotary? And then what other organizations are you involved with here in the community? Yeah. So um, definitely involved with Rotary. Uh, been active with that for mm, I don't know. I think you and I came on probably near the same time with Rotary. I uh, got involved through Kylie. Yep. Um, she asked me to come and visit Rotary. And I looked around the table and I was like, oh, I know all these people. Like, this is lunch with friends once a week. I can totally do this. And then I got roped into 1812 and the 1812 committee. And then I got roped into serving as president. And then I was like, okay, not it anymore. That's how it happens. <laughs> That's yeah. how it happens. I missed a meeting. That's, <laughs> That's how right. it happens at our Rotary. You miss a meeting. Um, so involved with Rotary. Um, other organizations in the community I'm involved with since I was involved with the United Way for so many years, um, I've volunteered for the Boys and Girls Club and Salvation Army and St. Martin's and the Rescue Mission and um, really any organization that kind of asks for help. I am happy to try and get in there and see how I can help and volunteer. Um, I volunteered at my church quite a bit uh, pre-pandemic because I've kind of gotten in the habit of watching it on 
wine oh, now, thing. but yeah. um, but I went to Converse Church of Christ for mem- many years and volunteered downstairs with the little kiddos uh, during church service and uh, was a special helper with some of our uh, kiddos that had Down syndrome and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I've been involved with the Masonic fraternity. So uh, here in Grant County, being involved with, uh, I was a Job's daughter when I was in high school, and then I was uh, cha- Indian, well, John L. McCullough chapter Demolay sweetheart, and then Indiana Demolay state sweetheart, and then I serve um, as a state volunteer for Indiana Demolay still. So um, been in- involved with the Masonic family since. 1996 i think yeah so um how did you and our guest host get to know each other because i think that you'd texted me one time like hey kirk's here serving hot dogs with me (laughs) hot dogs (laughs) it was i kind of got that was probably i had known kurt's kids yeah right so uh veda was somebody that uh was living through her challenges and that type of thing through the church that we were in uh gavin was younger and hunter was younger and they were real passionate about we've got to support veda we got to help this out that type of thing so i knew them from a distance and um i do i do volunteer uh for our high school to set up and tear down the concession stand and then uh, for certain sports. And then as a sports parent, you are required based on your kid's sports team to work the concession stand to help raise money. And then the money those nights goes into your sports fund or whatever. So I was there covering a baseball game for the swim team, I think it was, or for the baseball team. I can't, whatever. I was there covering for one of the teams my kids play on. (laughs) And Kirk walked up to me and he was like, I just heard you laugh. Are you Alicia Hazelwood from where we landed? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. That's a pretty good, pretty good ear. (laughs) And so we got to talking about it and his uh, passion for our show. And I think that's how we ended up conning you to come on. Yes. To be a guest. And then immediately conned you to come on to cover. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll be, yeah. I'll be taking over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's one thing I love about this podcast is it's not, it's not really owned by anybody, right? Like yeah. we just fill in and fill the holes. And that's something that I think is awesome about this community is, you know, it's kind of interchangeable and yeah. we all own it. Right. Go so, ahead. so with the, the busyness that you have, I guess I'm thinking of two different questions. I'll do the first one first. How, how do you say no? Because your <laughs> talents are obvious to a lot of people and you're in high demand. And so you probably do get a lot of requests for your time. And of course, now that you've had a transition in your um, work life, how do you kind of reset that? And then also on the side, your busyness and your kids' busyness, how do you guys carve out family time and how do you protect that? aspect of your life so um i guess i should first say i see a therapist because i have boundary issues (laughs) thank you ed Pereira and family service society um but seriously like i have it is an issue that i have because i want to meet everybody's needs around me and um it was 
hard at the United Way because it was also part of my job. And so I always felt like I wasn't doing my job if I wasn't giving of myself to those organizations. And so that actually led, I realized once I did transition positions uh, for this great opportunity at Ivy Tech, um, I did realize that I was facing and dealing with a, quite a bit of burnout um, where I was burning every part of my candle with anything that I could find um, because I was trying to be the mom, the wife, the housekeeper, the United Way executive, and you were never off, you know, because you were the United Way. Um, I can remember working a baseball uh, concession stand one day and I was wearing a Chicago Cubs baseball hat, you know, in full mom mode. And a parent came up and ordered food. And he was like, oh, you like the Chicago Cubs, huh? And I was like, yeah, they're our team, you know, whatever. And he was like, well, guess can't give to the United Way anymore. And it was a joke, right? Like, because he was recognizing me from coming in and speaking to the United Way. But it was one of those moments that I was just like, I really hope that's a joke. Yeah. Like, am I not allowed to wear my Chicago Cubs hat now? <laughs> like, so, um, so it's really hard to say no. And then when I transitioned, I did start to get a lot of phone calls around like, Hey, could you come serve on our board? Or are you looking for like, what does volunteer life look for you now? And cause I wasn't allowed to serve on any boards that we funded when I was at the United way. So I kind of had a, a natural boundary there. And so I just, um, I asked Ed, like, what should I do? How do I manage my relationships that I have with these people, but be able to say no in a respectful way? And um, so what he and I decided was best for me is to say, I need a year. I need a year to get good at my job, to understand what I'm doing, to see what life looks like in this new role before I take on anything else. And then just be real strategic about the things that are actually passions for me that I'm passionate about. Um, because the realization is, is that whatever board I go on with my fundraising background, they're going to want me to help raise money. And I did it for 10 years. I was reasonably good at it, but I don't necessarily know that that's what I'm passionate about. Um, and what that plays into. So right now it's been easy because I've said I need a year. And I'm only two and a half months into the work at the, the at Ivy Tech. So, um, and I'm finding lots of fun stuff to be passionate about at Ivy Tech. So I don't know uh, really what that looks like. Um, I did read a really good book. Oh, I don't know how long ago it was uh, called The Best Yes. And it's a um, kind of like a study. Um, I don't want to say a like a devotional because it's not necessarily a devotional, but it was like a study book. Like it challenged you to think and study and look into things. And she talked about how sometimes when you're saying no, you're actually allowing someone else to say their best. Yes. So yes, I could provide all the cookies for the class, but if I say no, their next ask might be somebody who's an actual baker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I try to, trying to filter myself to the things that are my best yes where are my strengths and if it's a strength then i'll do it not just because i have time but because i'm good at it alicia one of the things so as you talked about the difficulty in saying no and and being asked to serve on boards and those types of things i find it really interesting because i think like you've you actually recognize that 
trait in other people because I know that you've come to me at times and said, hey, I've thought about asking you to be on this, but I know that you've got too many other things going on right now. And so you, I think that's really interesting that you have a challenge for yourself, but you can see it for other people like, hey, don't add this to your plate, right? Oh, I'm a do as I say, not as I do kind of person. (laughs) Even my kids will tell you that. (laughs) Gavin's a much better driver than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Now walk me through going back. So Rotary. Yeah. um, So one of the things about our county that I found fascinating, so it's dropped in population since 1970. I think we peaked in 1970. For the last 50 years, we've been going down population wise. Um, and you were one of the people that came and said, I think we need to look at a merger of the rotary clubs here in town. We think we could do more together than we can do separately, but I'd love for you to share that story. Cause I think that was such a, uh, an important thing. And it may not be that important for people who don't know rotary, but it was an important thing for rotary and the people who were a part of rotary over the last hundred years to have those two clubs come together and just give your insights and thoughts as to what led you to that and how you navigated that, which is a really challenging thing when you have people involved. Yeah. So really it was Loria Slater. So Loria came to me, we were both presidents at the time of our two respective rotaries. And she said, you know, your rotary is growing and you have good attendance and um our rotary is you know kind of staying at the number that it is um we want to have like a conversation around whether this is a possibility and what this would look like so loria and i spent a lot of time on the phone just the two of us kind of hashing out you know what does the dream look like what does the ideal look like we had um, our two respective um, executive teams, so the two presidents, the two vice presidents, um, the two treasurers all kind of sat down and said, let's write out for our, our clubs what the ideal would look like if we were merged together. And so we then put those two sheets together and said, okay, these boxes all look the same. Here are the ones that are different. And how do we navigate that? Um, And with that, then we were able to really go back to our respective clubs and say, um, how do you feel? And I know what was Marion Rotary North, we didn't, we made decisions as a group. There wasn't any one person that was louder than anybody else. We made the decision. And if someone in the club said, no, this wasn't going to work, we really respected that and tried to navigate that internally. So um, there were a couple of challenges, a couple of particular things that um, each Rotary wanted and didn't want to get rid of. Um, For uh, Marion Rotary, it was, you know, supporting the dog park, making sure that that happened. Um, It was a passion of theirs. They wanted to maintain the um, high school scholarship opportunities that they had. Um, and for our Rotary, it was really around um, making sure to give local and only having one big fundraiser, which is our uh, pork chop booth round pig at 1812. And um, so blending those two things together, we said, okay, well, there, one Rotary said, okay, we'll do one fundraiser a year. And if we need to do another fundraiser for something, we'll add in what is traditionally our fundraiser. 
And then our Rotary said, okay, there's already money set aside for the dog park. We'll support the dog park. That's something that is a passion of yours. We're not too keen on it because of some bruised feelings in the past, but there's already money and support with the Rotary name on it. So we'll stand behind that. And then um, the thing that I think we've kind of dropped the ball on right now is the scholarship piece. Um, because as we were going through all that process, the pandemic also happened and there was all sorts of weird stuff. So um, that's something that I know in my work and volunteerism at Rotary this coming spring, I'm going to plan on bringing up is we need to make sure that we're doing these scholarships. And what does that look like? Especially since um, we have the the Rotary president we have now is from the former Marion Rotary. So that was another thing we did is we said, how, what does leadership look like? And so Loria and I were kind of presidents at the time. We said, well, we'll kind of, once we merge, we'll just be co-presidents until that's over. And then um, Scott stepped up to be the first president. And then one of their Rotary members was going to be the next. And then we just kind of bounced back and forth until it felt like we were all one club. And I think the the merger and the personality merger and stuff like that's going really well. Um, we have um, regular the regular attendees from the pre from the two separate clubs seem to be still two regular attendees to the joint club. Um, and there was some attentionality around. We were Marion Rotary and Marion Rotary North. We changed the name to Grant County Rotary. Um, we've talked about how do we reach out to other communities? Do we start having lunches in other communities? What does that look like? Um, and just trying to be intentional around inclusion and safety and not kind of being a closed off group. Um, I guess I, well, Rotary International already probably doesn't like me anyway, but <laughs> they, you know, we don't necessarily follow. Well, we follow all the important rules, but important to us, <laughs> <laughs> but we like to have, like, we like to have fun and we like to be together. And as long as we're meeting the mission, we don't really pay attention to the structure. Got it. And so um, when like our district governors come in and want to talk to us about, you know, you guys look successful because we've got a young group and a big group and good attendance and we're giving away lots of money. Um, how are you doing? Like, like, how are your numbers growing? How did you manage this merger? Um, during a time where social clubs are really struggling and I looked at him and said, we don't follow your rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we, we, it's not so much that we don't follow their rules, but we don't put the rules on us. Like we have to be rigid and do this. We allow the club to be organic and just talk and get to things. And as long as we're meeting that mission, that's what we're passionate about. Um, but there's been some struggles. There was, you know, ugly moments. There were hard moments. There were hard conversations um, in that process. And we have lost some members in that process that just it's not the same because it's not the same. Um, and you have to adjust to that. And um, it's been it's been interesting. And I appreciate the closer relationships that I built uh, through that process. And um, I just hope it continues to to grow. But I give Loria is the one that really came to us um, and talked to us about it. And um, for 
both rotaries to be vulnerable enough to say, yeah, let's go ahead and do this and see what it looks like. Um, I really, I don't know if it's because I was on one side or the other, but I feel like it was a much more vulnerable space for Marion Rotary than it was for Marion Rotary North. But Marion Rotary North had to be very cognizant of honoring that tough space that the other Rotary Club was in. So I really appreciated being a part of that. Yeah. This episode of Where We Landed is brought to you by the United Way of Grant County. The United Way's mission is to build stronger families. We believe that sharing inspirational stories helps strengthen the fabric of our community. To get involved, contact the United Way at 765-662-9811. I, I just commend you for your leadership because I think anytime you go through a merger, in my perspective, is there are probably other organizations in our community that that may need to happen and for you to take the, the lead. And then we just saw uh, Grant Blackford Mental Health mm -hmm. and Family Services come together, Yep, um, which is another really, I think, good thing for our community yeah. to have those resources united versus working separately. And I think there's a lot of grace that needs to be given in those moments because like, I still don't feel like with our Rotary Clubs, that the merger is full, like you still, it's going to take a while for it to really feel like one club. I don't feel like we see each other as separate clubs in one room, but there are still um, traits and cultures and things that we do and things that one club accepts, one club members accept that the other club members don't and that type of thing. And so there's still there's still bumps along the road as that merger smooths out. And so when I watch Grant Blackford and Family Service Society merger on a much bigger scale, um, affecting so many more people, and this is their jobs and their livelihoods and stuff like that, um, I just hope that the community and the clients and the staff give each other all a whole lot of grace around um, it's tough. Blending cultures is tough. And there are some steps that you've kind of got to take and breathe through when you go through that process for for yourself to find another normal and then doing that after something like a pandemic as well where everybody's kind of tapped out on the grace part of their life um that's something else just to be aware of and give consideration to and it's something that i've always i always assume I don't want to say the best, but I always assume people are doing things from a kind, genuine point versus some kind of mean, manipulative point. Um, and it's only burned me a couple of times. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my next question, and uh -oh. I'm going to do this for both. Are you going to ask me the failure question? Nope. Okay. Nope. Good. Nope. 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 This is culture right. stuff. What's so your worst I'm going to go to, but I'm, I'm going to also ask Kurt his opinion on this. So I've been doing a little bit of research globally on culture because I think it's so important from our business perspective. But I, but Grant County has its own culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious. So some of the research that I did was there's a concept of being individualistic versus being collective. Um, and how do you do do life? And so the research was saying that from a national standpoint that countries like um, China, uh, even Mexico, the Latin countries tend to be more collective in their thought making process. 
they said the one outlier, and I think you'll maybe find this interesting, but from an individualistic standpoint, so the United States was so far individualistic versus any of the other cultures in the world. I think we rank 91 out of 100, and everybody else is way below that. But within a country, there are multiple cultures. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious uh, what your perspectives are. Is Grant County an individualistic culture? Or would you say we're more of a collective culture? Um, and any perspective on that yeah. from your perspective? And then I'd love to get Kirk's thoughts so, on that too. Um, so I've got so many thoughts around that because my husband's family is um, from Hispanic and Native American descent. And um, of course, my family is from a military. You know, I come from a military family. So I feel like a military family is kind of twisted in that we're very um individualistic only because you only had like i can only remember it being my mom my dad me and my brother like very nuclear family and that's who you moved with but very um very collective because once you got to the base like it that was your village right and you found a village very quickly and they all you all had this shared experience around being a military family and so my mom had lots of friends that were wives and mothers and all the men were gone and they had their own little group and and it was very collective because you couldn't do it alone um Steve's family is very much a collective family like my we were joking we're having a um, an event coming up, family event coming up. And Steve's aunt was told to like, keep the guest list low. Um, and when you say guest list low for the Hazelwood side of the family, you're talking 75 to hundred <laughs> because that's like my kids know their great grandparents and have memories with their great grandparents and cousins and second cousins and third cousins. And that's the nuclear family, right? It's just so big that it's very much a collective family feel. And I think a lot of um, those cultures where you, the country physically is smaller and the families do stay together to be able to make it work. So you have that um, lower economic status culture that you need multiple people to make it work causes that collective feel because you're taking care of multiple generations where in the u.s we've had such a big boom and the country is so physically huge that it is individualistic you took care of you you made your money you made it for your family and this is what it looked like um, i can remember growing up and my dad saying you know the u.s population would be bilingual or multilingual if ohio indiana and illinois all spoke different languages which in europe that's how close those multiple countries are so you would grow up that way and so just having friends from overseas coming here and going oh let's go out to the grand canyon i'm like dude that's weeks from here right they're like what like we can't just hop on a train and go like like, no, like <laughs> they have no concept of physically how big our country is. And so I think it's hard to be collective in such a physically big location. Um, and I mean, based on our constitution, we were legally designed not to be that way. Um, Grant County, I think, struggles with culture because our way of life has changed so much over the generations from that big 
um, industrial boom, the gas boom, all of that kind of stuff um, to now battling this identity of a college community. I mean, we've got three colleges in town um, when I say in town and in the county. Um, I think we're bat we're in that space of battling like what is our culture? What does that look like? And it always settles back to it's easy to settle back into your high school like divisions, right? Because that's a, a shared thing that we we all have. And so um I think we're just trying to figure that out right now. before Kirk answers that question, would your perspective be that we lean more towards collectivism or towards individualism in Grant County? I do you think, think we're just right down the middle? I think my perspective on that skewed because I worked for 10 years with the United Way and nonprofits absolutely have to work collectively to meet their missions. And as much as people say they work in their silos, I think only those from the outside looking in believe that because if you think that any one given organization can meet its mission without working with the other ones you don't understand how that process works they all talk to each other email each other we text each other on our phones like there there is no one organization doing anything by themselves um and i think working in that environment and then working in the congressional environment where i was always calling people for help and who knows who and who's the right person to make the ask um I've worked 20 years in a very collective environment. And so I think my perspective on that's really skewed just by. And that skewed perspective is that we're a collective county. I would lean that we're, that the, I would lean that our community is more collective than it believes it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. I, I shouldn't say it's good. That's just data. It could be good, could be well, bad. Well, it's not data, it's opinion. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. I can pull the, the data because I'm a data nerd. But, <laughs> but if your opinion's fact, then... Right, right. I've never believed my opinion's fact. Yeah. So what's <laughs> That's your, dangerous. What's your thought on that, Kirk? Do you think Grant County individualistic, collective in their nature? What, what's the your perspective? I really enjoyed Alicia's answer. <laughs> oh, cheater! So... So we lived in Noblesville for 12 years and then we've been here for almost 20. And in Noblesville, it seemed more individualistic because people worked in other places, but then they came home. But collectively, being a Noblesville person, you had downtown, you had out by the lake, all that in Grant County. Um, I think there's a lot of individualistic that used to be collective when we had Thompson and we had larger manufacturing presence. Um, because that was what binded a lot of people together. Now you've got a lot of people that work in Kokomo, that work in Indy, that travel, commute a lot. Um, I think that there are wonderful pockets of the collective idea, which is going back to that um, connectivity that Iris talked about previously mm -hmm. and something that we experienced with um, Veda through her struggles. Um, so, it's how those two bump up against each other. It's almost like a, what is that? The Venn diagram with the circles, like right. we need to make the part that overlaps as big as possible. So um, not just the collective um, mindset helping out. Uh, there needs to be a uh, an interface there somewhere mm -hmm. in between. Um, 
I agree with you. I think it's more collective because I think that you guys are so much more intentional about achieving a goal that it stands out more and it's more visible. Whereas the individualistic, you've got people that are just kind of slipping through the cracks, kind of doing their own thing. Um, they could benefit from that collective, but I, I, I agree it's more collective, but I, I think it's different now that there's not those large job pools at specific locations where people have that commonality. Now it's very much more and it's, yeah, I, I think it's different now. What about you, Scott? You're working and own a business here in the community, but didn't grow up and, and yeah. live here. And, um, I think it's a collective, yeah. um, community. Um, and it's good in some ways and it can be challenging in some ways. So change happens a little bit more slowly maybe because individualistic communities, I think you get quick change because mm. people are, Hey, there's an idea. Let's go get it type of thing. And here it feels like you have to really build a lot of consensus to be able to get uh, an idea to move forward, which is good because you never make any bad or you make fewer bad decisions because you got the collective wisdom, but you also don't get the big home run sometimes that, that might happen in a more individualistic community. So, so I think it's collective. Yeah. It's, um, and kind of talking about culture too. Um, you know, I very much identify with being born south of the Mason Dixie line growing up in North Carolina. I grew up in a salt and pepper neighborhood. Um, I actually just did, uh, implicit bias test where I actually have a slight bias to white people. <laughs> We've noticed and, that. <laughs> and it's just funny because when you're going through and you're doing these implicit bias things, I'm like, I never would have, I figured I would fall like most people probably do, like right in the middle, but I never would have guessed that, that I lean that way. But I've set, shared before that I've experienced and it may just be age. It may be, you know, I was in the South when I was young and then I was in, you know, the North when I was older. But growing up in the South, like I can remember taking field trips to plantations and seeing where, you know, the slave quarters were and the big house and all of that kind of stuff. Like I grocery stores still had multiple entrances and you could see where the signs were and stuff like that. And then I come up here and like, growing up, this was like, you know, you went to the North and that's where everything was great and they loved everybody and stuff like that. And then I get up here and I go to school and I'm like, I'm experiencing more of that challenge here than I ever really experienced in Salisbury, North Carolina. And that interaction I've always kind of struggled with, that culture break I've always kind of struggled with because it's like we never really the North, at least in my brain, never really accepted like the, like we were the place that people went to. Like, why are you, why are you acting like what people think the South acted like from my perspective? And so um, I think having a lot of grace around culture issues in that respect too is important. The chamber did a really great, had a, um, the Schaefer, I think it's Schaefer Academy come in and do a thing on generations and like understanding what each generation went through that causes their perspective on things that 
are happening. Um, and so being a generation Xer, like, what does that look like? What did I experience that now causes the shade that I look through and understanding that just because I have that shade, there's nothing wrong with having that, but being able to take a step back and say, Oh, but you experienced this. So since you're here and I'm here, how do we meet in the middle and what does that look like? And what's that give and take? Um, and then, I mean, there's just so much turmoil right now. There's so much access to information and you can't tell what's true and what's not true. And th I think that's the hardest part I've shared with some of my friends that are raising kids in this time frame. Like, it's so, so difficult to know who has access to your kids. Like when I was growing up, my parents knew the six other families that if I was missing, I was probably at their house, right? Now, I don't know who has contact with my kids because they have their cell phones or social media or everything's digital. And so that's um, a culture shift that, you know, we're having to work through. And, you know, so many people are like, oh, get Life 360. And I'm like, I, I was raised just fine without my parents knowing where I was at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When the streetlights come on, they'll be home. Right. And if you that weren't home, role. when you weren't home, because I grew up in the country, we didn't have streetlights. So my mom had this giant brass bell. Yep, ring the bell. And she would ring that like an old school bell, right? And she would ring that bell and you had to be within hearing distance of that bell. Um, and that was when it was time to write because we were like, you know, I had a square mile that was our neighborhood. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's just a you know, and now I tell the boys, like, be home before it's dark. And I don't know. It's just different. I, I'm going to wrap up. Um, our time's gone quick today. So I'm going to wrap up with a, a question for you and Kirk again. So this is highlight of 2022. What, what's the highlight of 2022 Oof. for each of you? And wh while you're thinking of that, so that's part of the culture study that I've been doing. I, I was fascinated by it with Grant County. So I reached out to Bill Munn after he was on our show. I and love just said, Bill Munn. What's the history of Grant County? So some quick notes. So Marion was founded by Boots and Branson, two farmers who donated 30 acres of land, which I never realized. So we've got Boots Street and Branson Street. Our business is on Branson Street. I had no mm -hmm. idea that in 1831, those two gentlemen. And I said, well, what was the type of people that, that came here? And it was the Quakers that mm -hmm. actually founded Grant County. Um, abolitionist movement, mm -hmm. Underground Railroad was significant here. And I just found that fascinating as part of our history of, um, and maybe that speaks to our collectivism a little bit, mm -hmm. that Quaker philosophy and mentality in our county. And that's how we were founded. So I, I also have really enjoyed getting to know Bill Munn just because of the, the wealth. Of so he and, is so fascinating. He yeah. was one of my uh, teachers in high school. Uh, when I think about high school and like my favorite teachers, there was Mary Kirby, Bill Munn, George Hill, uh, Mr. Juan Settler, Mrs. Chapman. Like they were the ones that really stuck out to me that made an impact on my life. And even when I was in college, I would think about Bill Munn and he would say, wax eloquent. And that was, you know, Everybody laughs about how I changed my language and stuff like that. And that's a old Bill Munn thing that I still have today. So, um, yeah, the Grant County history is fascinating. I think history of any community can be fascinating. And if we actually taught that, 
um, in our school systems, in our community and started teaching um, and sharing the pride that we have from that background, Mm -hmm. um, I think it would start to change how people view the assets that we actually have here. Um, And not so much not teach one thing or the other, but teach the whole story and just own all of it. The ugly, the pretty, the hard, you know, I think it's okay to honor that we had hard moments and we work through hard moments and we're still in hard moments. Like that's part of the human experience. Um, and I think we just want to gloss over that. And that's what social media kind of does. It's just the highlight reel. Right. So, um, and I think that just then causes more of that, that challenge that we have. So I forgot what your question well, my, is. My, my fun question is this, <laughs> what's been the highlight of 2020? Highlight, highlight of 20, coming back to you. Uh, highlight of 2022. So, um, the concession stand at the regional. <laughs> right. I mean, how could that not be the highlight of 2022 is the concession stand. It's um, changed my life. I, obviously. <laughs> I mean, now you're officially a co-host of the podcast. You just were super passionate about Look at how we reeled you in. Sucker. Um, so highlight of 2022. Um, that's kind of hard because 2022 is not over and something amazing may happen. But I would have to say... Um, I had a really eventful and challenging May, June, and July, both professionally and personally. And so my highlight is just the experiences that I went through and the growth that I feel like I'm going through from all of those events because uh, from changing a 10-year job to a brand new job um, to some challenges inside the United Way, um, to my husband having some really significant health issues that he's fine from now. Um, it was just a lot in the last mm-hmm. few months. And so, um, being able to grow from that and learn from that's been really amazing for me. I think for me, when I think about 2022, it's, um, you know, when you watch sports center, there's a highlight and there's a team that wins and a team that loses. And here's a thing that happened that affected that outcome. To me, the highlight is not complete yet. It's how are we going to emerge from pandemic mode? What are what lessons are we going to learn from that? How are we going to move forward from that? And then all the after effects, whether it's inflation, all the things that are happening right now because of what we went through, how are we going to emerge from that and be smarter? Mm. And uh, just I'm I'm just curious to see how that all works out. Yeah. What about you, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have two. One is real recent, and the other is just kind of ongoing. So adopting this little boy um, mm. has been incredible, and he is the coolest little kid. We um, all love Leo. Yeah. <laughs> Gene actually gave me an idea yesterday. So because he's in that terrible twos where he is just freaking out about every like everything's a big issue. It could be, hey, I don't have cheese in my my uh, lunch today. You know, that's a big issue. So, but yesterday we started this thing where it's ten minutes with mom, ten minutes with dad, where we just tell him it's playtime and we're with you. We turn our phone off, but we set the timer. You've got ten minutes to do whatever you want with us, what separately. And um, and so I did that last night. And most of the time it was just, he wanted me to just chase him in a circle around the, the kitchen counter. (laughs) 
And then he wanted me to ride. He's got one of those little riding horses. So he wanted me to ride his horse. And, and I thought he'd ride the horse most of the time, but he just kept saying, mo, 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 which is his more. Um, like he wanted dad to ride the horse. <laughs> so that's been fun. And, and a, a huge thing for me for 2022. The other one, um, I went to the luncheon on Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, for family services. Circle of friends. Circle of friends. And hearing Ella Browder speak, we had Bobby on a, a few weeks ago, and hearing his daughter just tell her story um, really impacted me mm-hmm. um, and how strong of a young lady she is and what she has uh, accomplished and will continue to accomplish. But just having her share her story on yeah. on the things that's been challenging for her, yeah. uh, that was really a highlight for me for 2022. She, the bravery and the vulnerability and the courage it takes to stand up and be the face of um, any kind of struggle. Um, I instantly was texting Bobby and Corey and saying, oh my God, what an amazing life that, you know, not to downplay anyone else's, you know, but what an amazing, amazing life she has in front of her and the growth that this is going to cause her and the healing that it helps uh, bring forward. I have uh, struggled um, with our family with mental health issues. My grandmother was manic depressive. Uh, My brother's bipolar. I have depression issues and anxiety issues. And so um, just seeing someone at her age be strong enough to stand up and say the only way we're going to end this stigma is to start saying there's a stigma um, was really, really impressive. And um, to your point of like spending intentional time with your kids, um, we have date nights. So Hunter and I, we like movies. My husband does not like going to the movies. So Hunter and I go to the movies and then Gavin and I both love sports. So um, just having intentional time, date time where you go and just have one-on-one time with your kids, I think is so, so important. And they do different things with their dads, like Steve and Gavin love to fish. And so I don't mind fishing, but it's not my favorite thing to do. So it's their favorite thing to do. Like just finding those things that you can do with your kids, even if it is spending 10 minutes chasing each other around, (laughs) you know, or, or whatever that looks like, I think is really important too. So. Yeah. Well, Alicia, thank you for both your friendship and your leadership in our community and for taking time to answer our questions today about your life and, and uh, what you've got going on. Um, it's awesome that you helped found this podcast and and the difference that you're making in lives on a daily basis. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. And I'm glad to continue to do the podcast. I think it's fun. Awesome. And at the beginning of the podcast, I forgot to say, Hey, Oh, right. Cause you're the, you're stealing Iris's spot for the day. <laughs> Sorry. What we, what we would like you to do for our listeners is please like us where you listen to your podcast. And then also tell a friend to listen in. We'd love to have more and more listeners. And with that, we'll look forward to uh, to talking to everybody again in another week. Thanks again, Alicia. See ya. Bye. Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas.